Hi, I'm Molly Moran, and this is the Table Wine Podcast. I am joined today, as always, by my delightful co-host, Andy Stoiber. Woo! Hey, Molly! I'm, like, giddy. I'm so excited. It's been months since we've done this, and I'm ready to explode with content. I feel (laughs) the same. I'm so excited. It took us forever to get our schedules to line up. I know. To get the stars to line up just the right way. But we're here! Yes, Here we are. yes. It's like, you know, casting a big Hollywood production. It's hard to get everyone It's <laughs> worth it. You're the really Leo busy. to my Kate. And yes. <laughs> it's worth it. Wow. Yes. Thank you. That's, we need to see more branded content. Table Wine Podcast <laughs> shirts, the Leo to my Kate. Uh. Oh, my God. Yes. I love it so much. You don't date young young people, though. Oh, yeah. You don't have, no, it's you true. Don't have weird. But there's always time going on thirty. That's what I can That's start true. dipping down. His shit didn't get weird until he about that age. So you can, you can do it, man. You can do it. Yeah, right. I had heard Leo gets upset that people think he only dates young people, but he does. Exactly. It's one of those funny yeah. things. But I like hearing that he's upset by it. At least he is aware. Yeah. But I guess everyone makes fun of it. Right. Uh, it's true. Oscar season. Yeah. He might be. It, it might be a tender spot because it's true. But it's like. So we don't have to talk about Leo, but Why? now I'm wondering, when did Leo transition from like young heartthrob to too old? Like he's had a long career, but I was like, even when he was like, catch me if you can, that was still young Leo. Yeah. And then, and then he just, I don't even know. Like what? When? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I feel like it was around the Revenant. His Like his physical features changed a lot. Right. And he kind of like became a different kind of Leo. Great Gatsby, too. Right oh, no. He was beautiful. Oh, no. I mean, he wasn't pretty still or, you know, like he had grown up, yes. but he's pretty beautiful in Gatsby. Like he's still he's still beautiful. And then he gets to be like, you know, grizzled. I don't or, know. Just know. different. Just different. Leo. Whatever. Like I, pff, for those of you who don't know, I am 43 years old, which puts me in the exact prime spot of Leo love. Like I was. <laughs> I just listened to a podcast the other day where they were talking about when he was on Growing Pains. And I was like, no, like I, I was watching Growing Pains and I thought to myself, I want to marry that boy. Like I like I was I am his age. And so like I've loved him since he was like, you know, little. I loved a Growing Pains Leo, too. Yeah. <laughs> and then I turned my bisexual daughter on to uh, Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. And she's very <laughs> sad about what Leo looks like as a grown up. She's like, no, he is. Be-. And I was like, he's beautiful. He's so pretty in those movies. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, he does have a weird look, though, as a grown-up, quote-unquote. He does. <laughs> um, apparently, the Table Wine podcast has become a Leo Stan podcast, and that's what we're doing. Sorry, that's... No, oh. it's great. I did want to recap for people that the last episode that we did was a draft of the 2022 mm. bestsellers, um, which we had a riot recording. Um, yeah. And if you all haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. I've had a lot of people in the last, like, few weeks... Tell me that they've listened to it, so people are catching up or whatever. I am sad to say that the third wheel of the Table Wine podcast, who joins us from time to time, was the very clear winner yeah. <laughs> of the 2022 draft. So well done, Connor. Which it's a nice thing to do when your guest wins, right? We're just letting them yes. win as the you know special guest. As a special guest, it's- I know he's listening. He's <laughs> also downstairs doing dishes right now. So thank you. My darling husband you know, for all of yes. that. But yes, he no, did. He skilled. did. Uh, he did run away with it. Yeah. So we will do it again and we'll have to figure out how to not have Connor win. 
Yeah, I think if that's the uh, mission is that Connor doesn't win, that would yeah. Let's collude. Let's approach. You know, let's yes. let's make sure he can't win. <laughs> yeah. Great. It's, it's our show. It's great. our podcast. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the recap for everybody who is listening. Delightful. Yeah. Great. Uh, Okay, so before we start drinking wine and talking, (laughs) let's tell the people what season four is all about, Andy. Yeah, first off, my mind is boggled that we're at season four. I know. Um, But we're getting into the meat and potatoes of wine, (laughs) let's say. I like it. (laughs) Because we're talking about what food pairs with wine this season. Yep, we're going to talk about why wines work with certain cuisines, certain elements and dishes, how to pair things well. All things food and wine pairing related, which could probably be its own podcast for the rest of our lives if we really wanted yeah. it to be. But that is the the thrust of season four. Yeah, this is like food and wine 101, let's hope, with like the basics that everyone can use and benefit from. Yeah. I think it'll be great. Great. It's time now for our aperitif, a little bit of wine knowledge to help wet your palate. This season, because we're doing food and wine pairings, I wanted to help everybody out as much as I can with how to order wine well at a restaurant, how to handle all of the different wine scenarios that one runs into in a restaurant. So this time I kind of wanted to talk about ordering well in terms of quantity. (laughs) I think when we go out for dinner, we as a group of people, we tend to underestimate how much we're going to drink. So I think a lot of folks will have a glass of wine and then think that that might be where they're going to stop. Or maybe I'm going to have a second glass of wine and then I'm going to stop. And if you think through it, if you're with, let's say one other person, if you're on a date, if you're each going to have two glasses of wine, you might be able to split that third one and you should just have a bottle of wine. Obviously, if you and the person that you're dining with have incredibly different tastes in wine, that's totally cool and stick to the glass list. But if you and your partner or your friend or whoever have pretty similar tastes in wine, it's a really good time to order a bottle. And the benefit here is not just price, although that is worth noting, right, that wines by the glass are going to be more expensive to buy four or five of those than it would be to buy a bottle, but also Wine lists are designed to have really interesting things available by the bottle that are not available by the glass. So wines that are available by the glass at a restaurant, sometimes there are really cool finds, but often they're kind of more everyday choices. And it's the bottle list that has the really exciting stuff. So I am a big advocate of at least before you make any decision, just look through the bottle list and see if there's something on there that you want to drink. Because it can be a great time to taste wines from a country you haven't had, a grape you haven't had, a producer you already know, but they have something that you haven't seen before. And to widen your breadth of knowledge and drink something really delicious, rather than just immediately, as soon as your server comes over, I want a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. And then you're drinking a Sauvignon Blanc that you may or may not even really like. You get a second glass and you're like, no, this doesn't even pair well with the food I'm eating, but whatever, here it is. I think it's a really nice way to kind of slow down and as the diner kind of be in control of your drinking experience. So go check out those bottle lists around town and let me know whose lists excites you. All right, let's drink some wine, huh? Yeah. Now it is time to pop the cork. Also unscrewing the screw cap. <laughs> screw cap. <laughs> um, all right. So we are going to taste two wines today. First up, 
is like the new gem at Table Wine that that so many people are loving, including half of my staff. It is the Union Sacre Gewürz. So this is Skin Contact Gewürztraminer from Paso Robles, California. It says right on the label that it spends 40 days on the skin. So Andy can attest. It's this very beautiful orangey color. It's a gorgeous orange. Which, is it fair in thinking this is one of the first orange wines table wine carried because i feel like this was it was the the, the like first, capital yes. mm-hmm. that's what i thought it's yeah. so good it was yes yeah but it's, it's so, a beautiful bottle it too. is and it's so interesting though because when we first started carrying it it was i was looking back at our notes for listeners i give the staff notes about kind of the breakdown mm-hmm. of everything about the wine as as much information as i can give them and i was looking back at the very first time we started carrying this wine and it spent between three and seven days on the skins back then. And it was very like, I'm remembering it as kind of like ever so slightly noticeably like a darker golden color. Yep. And now that now it spends 40 days on the skins, right? So they like way up to that number. And now the color is just phenomenal. And the reason that they do all of that is to give the wine texture. When I'm saying that it's spending that time on the skins, that means they press the juice and then they let the juice hang out with the skins, the actual like grape skins, so that it gets a little tanning, gets a little structure. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited to taste this. Have you had this? Have you had this vintage? Not the oh new vintage. I don't think so. I feel like whenever I see, I love a Union Sacre um, in general. Yeah. I think what was out in the Bay Area, I bought mm, a bottle mm-hmm. of this since it was like, quote unquote, local in the Bay Area as a bottle of wine to gift a person I was staying with. Because I'm like, I know I love their wines. Yeah. And so I love it. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gewürztraminer is pretty floral on the nose anyway. So this wine smells really nice. And then... So it smells kind of floral, I think. And then on the palate, yes. it's much more like citrusy fruit. And when it gets to the palate, too, you get the floral. At least I did right mm-hmm, there. Like mm-hmm. It really becomes pronounced and mm-hmm. like almost like entering the nasal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From mm-hmm. the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But delicate while There's not weight, being though. too delicate. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It has like... I'm, well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and what we're, what food we're talking about. It's but true. Let's just. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes. Thank you. Why? Thank you. It's like I knew what I was doing. Yeah, I also think of this wine as a really good gateway drug if people are interested in skin contacts. Yes. Orange wines, whatever you want to call them. This is a really fun one to start off with because there is, we have a spectrum at the store and some like the the other end of the spectrum where this wine actually kind of used to be is like they're so delicate that you kind of don't see what the difference between that and a white wine is mm-hmm. right like that they're kind of yes. like okay that's nice like it's a totally nice wine but like there's nothing that m- makes it stand out and then there's like the spectrum that's like you know like six months on the skins and it's like really tannic and it's chalky and like those are super cool too those often tend to have like more wild and tangy flavors so that can be a little bit of a an adjustment for folks, right? And so I like this because mm-hmm. it's kind of like right in the middle where like there's something noticeably different about this than a Gewürztraminer that you normally have. But Well, the thing that I'm thinking about, since you mentioned how it was only like seven days or on the skins earlier vintage, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And now on 40. And so is that speaking to how new skin contact like wine production is and like maybe in the States in particular and like how these wineries have been experimenting with what is the right amount of time yeah. on skins? It's an it's an interesting question when you ask how new it is because it is how 
ancient wine was made, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, it's not new at all, right? It's the most ancient way of making wine at all, yes. right? In the country of Georgia, this is how they make wine. Um, but yes. Exclusively? Is that like... No, oh, okay. but it is... It is rarer, at least, how about this? In the Georgian wines that I have had, when a wine is made from white grapes, it is rarer that it doesn't spend time on the skins. That's real interesting. Because that's just like the, the, that. And and again, this is just in my experience of what I have tasted. I do not have like an encyclopedic knowledge of Georgian wine by any stretch. So, but that's kind of, yeah. But yes to the follow-up kind of question that you asked was, is it a new style here in the U.S.? For sure. It's not something that people were doing, you know, mm-hmm. 15 years ago. And I think that at least when Union Sacre started making it, um, you know, somebody had to be the first double IPA brewery, right? Somebody huh. did it. Like mm-hmm. somebody was like, sure, let's throw a boatload of hops and see what happens, right? And then more and more and more people got in on that game right to the fact to the point where now like a double ipa is just like a totally normal style of beer yeah and orange wine slash skin contact wine is kind of in that time that like kind of where we are right now where more and more people are experimenting with it and you're seeing more and i think it's really cool i think they're like really satisfying wines Mm -hmm. i really appreciate you saying it's a gateway wine to skin contact because it is and it's also like if this is the only skin contact wine you ever want to drink that's great too it certainly begins to blur into skin contact but it's if if we were drinking this blind i don't know if i would have guessed it was skin contact yeah or not (laughs) the gewurz comes through though which i think is really like if you know gewurz then you would be real happy with this and see that segue toward weightier, yeah. less perfumey yeah. styles. Of yeah. Products. And like it, this has really lovely fruit, which again, we'll kind of get to in our next segment. There's a little bit more fruit to it and a little less, and not that Gewurz is a high acid wine. It actually is the opposite of that, but like it skin contacts in general, they don't kind of hit you with a laser of acidity. Um, mm-hmm. And that's another reason that I wanted to highlight it today. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I would, you know, I'm putting this in my breakfast wine category. I could, maybe because I haven't eaten yet, so this would go great with breakfast. <laughs> and he just woke up, even though it's well afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's one of those days, okay. Um, but like, really, this is a a good, like a wine that I could easily see drinking earlier in the day. Or it could go great with dinner, too, but it would be great with a lunch. Yeah. Um, but like, something that doesn't feel too weighty if you're afraid of like, if you are doing some day drinking, I don't, it's not like yeah. I do that that much, but I'm just like, it is so delightful. Or, you know, the glass of wine you're looking for on your weekend or with brunch. Yeah. And it's only, I'm is. looking, it's only 12%. So yeah, if you're going to day drink, keep it under, <laughs> Why thir- not? keep it under 13. <laughs> Thank you. I like that rule. Mm. That's a good. That's good. Okay, great. That's our new rule. Are you ready for our second wine? Yes. Yes. Okay. Gonna... So... It feels weird. I'm kind of like keeping it a mystery why I picked these wines. So just keep, just try, just, just trust us guys. We're just talking about some cool wines right now. Or you can think about what, okay, knowing what we're drinking so far, some orange gewurz, and you could try to think what food oh, yeah. are we going to discuss yeah, what are based we talking, on these wines? What the hell are we talking about later? So the second wine is a 2021 Marquis de Goulain Vouvray. Uh. So this is Chenin Blanc from 
Vouvray in the Loire Valley in France. This technically falls into the dry category of wine, but I will say that I think it's very cuspy and it's al- mm. it's almost off dry. There is definitely some residual sugar in this wine. There's definitely some sweetness to it. I don't think it smells sweet at all. I think it smells like a dry Chenin. But then on the palate, there's some like pretty ripe fruit. Oh, man. Like, right. Really well integrated sweetness. Mm-hmm. I, like done in a way where, sure, you there is some sugar, but it's <laughs> so delightful. And yeah. anyone who, I just think like anyone who's afraid of drinking wine with any sweetness ne- needs to not be afraid right. and embrace it. And have this wine. Because this wine is so good. And I'm like, I'm so excited. This is newish to the store. I want to say within the last like month or two. I don't think I had it for the holidays. And one of the things I really like about it is Vouvray is one of my favorite regions. It was a a wine that I kind of got into as I started to learn more and more about wine. Vouvray was kind of like a go-to. And again, I kind of will talk more about that when we get to the food pairing and kind of why I came to it. But Vouvray... It's not quite Sancerre, but it is definitely going up in price. I'm watching the, you know, any wine, as soon Mm. as it kind of says Vivray on the label, the price kind of goes up. And so it's sad to me because it was definitely something that like got me into wine. And what I really like about this wine is that it's under $15. And so I think that like this, this to me is also like a very table wine kind of wine. Like this is under $15. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I, I was so excited when you told me we'd be drinking Vouvray. Now, like everything I'm excited about is because you oh. are excited about. <laughs> I'm just inherited. But I think of a few years back, I how long it was now, where you'd recommended Vouvray with Thanksgiving mm-hmm. dinner and bringing multiple bottles home, and it's just so delightful. And I, I guess I treat it like a treat, where it's like, oh, there's some sweetness in this wine, so I'm not going to make it my everyday wine. Mm-hmm. But then whenever. It's available. I'm so excited. And this is no exception where it's just stunning juice that is unique and nothing quite like it while still not being like wild and crazy. It's just like yeah, balanced, lovely drinking. Yeah. And I think um, and just so that we're clear, if you haven't had this wine, I don't think it's sweet like by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Like there's some no. residual sugar to it. There's a ripe fruitiness to it. But there's also like a lot of minerals there's some floral notes again in this wine as well um yeah you know it is really well balanced there's like great acidity and there's a there's a lot going on um and i just i just verified yeah this is a 14 dollar bottle of wine i do not think it tastes like that at all no not this could easily be a 30 dollar bottle yeah of wine. i'm pretty psyched about this wine i'm really 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 happy about this wine so Ugh, yeah, love. I was go- I was gonna ask like, are there since you since you said Vouvray is going up in price, are there analogs Chenin that is maybe less not brand name Vouvray? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, there's Anjou is another region in mm-hmm. France. It's another subregion in the Loire Valley, and so y- that's another place where Chenin Blanc grows, and you can get that same kind of variation in sweetness. Anjou's do tend to to lean a little towards the sweeter side. So we have carried the Pascal Bieto Anjou for mm-hmm. years. We've had it on the glass list from time to time. I think a lot of people might know that wine if you shop at Table yeah. Wine. So I would say that would be the place that I'd find the the best analog to it because other parts of the world where they grow Chenin, like South Africa, they tend to just go for the dry style. And so you don't tend to get that kind of variation that I think is interesting. It's kind of, you know, I uh, like to equate it to 
German Riesling, where you mm. can have like totally bone dry versions, you can have sweet versions and kind of all along the spectrum. And so you get to like really explore a grape that's no shade at all to the South African Chenins, but they are kind of going all in one kind of stream, I guess. Yeah, no, which is a great point, which is like Chenin can be very dry. Uh, and I love a South African Chenin, but a Vouvre is becoming, I, I think, a favorite I in know. general. Where if I'm a, if I, if if in theory I went to a restaurant, I think Vouvre <laughs> would be high on my. <laughs> Do you not I, go to restaurants? Is that what you say? It's been a while. Yeah. Like I'm like I don't. Or if I was or if I was ordering wine at a restaurant, which is something I don't always do because I know. <laughs> the markups. Yeah. And it's sad. I know. It's hard. But a good glass of Vouvray would be a delightful treat at dinner. Yeah. And I will side note that as I did in the previous segment, all of the segments this season are going to be about ordering wine at restaurants and trying to navigate yeah. wine lists and how to order well and all that stuff. Because if there's a question that I get a lot at the store, it's like, could you just walk me through a wine list? You know, people have asked me, like, can I DM you while I'm at a restaurant? And I was like, N- no, but I do understand the, like, what the hell am I supposed to do? So all of our aperitif mm-hmm. segments this season will be some advice that I have for folks. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. I've had friends text me when they're at dinner with a wine list. And it's fun to be like, oh, I can, you get a sense of the restaurant based on what wines they're carrying often. Totally. So yeah. It's yeah. But it is, as Andy said, it's challenging. The more you know, the harder it is to order wine at a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so I'm like, I know how much that costs. Yeah. I'm not paying that. I'm not paying that. Yeah. Before we digress too much, anything else you want to say about these wines? Okay, purity of fruit is what's coming to mind with this, which I feel like purity of fruit came up a lot during that natural season. Yeah. But that's what's coming to mind drinking this. And I feel like that little bit of sugar in here is really just acting to highlight and bring out the fruit flavors. Like, it's not acting to be sweet. It's literally there to just bring out the most delicious fruit. Yeah, and I feel like I say this again and again, but it tastes like real fruit right because of that Mm. like real fruit i mean some of sugar yeah has sugar it has sugar it's why it's delicious it's why you know humans ate it in the first place right like we we actually do like that so yeah yeah i agree with you purity of fruit that's the term that's it that's it and now it's time to decant where we let our subject breathe a little bit So, as promised, this season is all about food and wine pairing and how to pick the right wine to go with what you're having. And Andy and I knew that that's what we wanted to talk about, and we had a lot of different ideas as to kind of how we wanted to go about this. So each week we're going to kind of talk about a different cuisine, but then also a specific aspect within food pairing that kind of is most notable in that cuisine, I guess, is the best way to say Mm -hmm. that. So we are starting... With our beloved Thai food. (laughs) Thai food. I'm so excited because this is my favorite cuisine, probably. I was like... At least in Madison. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of this comes from the fact that Table Wine used to be located right next door to a very delicious Thai restaurant. And so it was one of the questions that we got the most often. I think we get it less at the new location because we're a little bit further from that place. But I think it's Thai food and it's pizza. Those are the two... Yeah. Or Italian food, generally, red sauce questions. Yeah. So we will tackle that in a later episode. But for today, we're talking about our lovely Thai food and all that goes into pairing with it. So yes. I wonder, did anybody guess that? <laughs> yeah, did and do we want to say specifically what we are thinking about with Thai food is spiciness mm-hmm. um, as sort of an element of cuisine that will 
transfer across styles, not just Thai food is spicy, but spicy food in other places. And so like the wine that goes though with spicy Thai food might also be great with spicy anything. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think the idea here is that you're going to want to take the principles about why these specific wines work well with Thai food and maybe kind of like extrapolate out of it so let's talk about why we why i chose these wines (laughs) what what to to take into account when you're pairing specifically with spicy thai cuisine so first of all we're talking about like chilies right like fresh chili heat Mm -hmm. that's kind of where the heat is coming from so it has that kind of vegetal flavor right often is that kind of the heat is coming from chilies so a nice counterpoint to that is fruit but a similar i think in both of these wines I went a little more floral, but kind of an herbaceous, floral, green, just general greenery kind of aspect pairs really, really well with Thai food, particularly when you take into account that often dishes will have lemongrass as well. So you've got like Mm. fresh chilies and you've got lemongrass. And so something that has fruit and some sort of herbal note to it really pairs beautifully with that. Yeah, I'm just thinking too of the aromatics of the wine and the aromatics of like Thai food in particular. And I think there's some sort of congruence and complementariness there that's really delightful because they are such wonderfully smelling foods and wines that it's one of those elements that helps bring them together in my mind. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, other things that I like about Thai cuisine, complexity of Mm. flavor, right, where you're... Yeah, you know, like you can say like, yeah, spicy is like one thing that you're kind of noticing. But then there's often like umami, Mm -hmm. there are vegetables, you know, there can be sweet elements depending on what you're having. There's just like so much going on, right? If we're And like, that's the thing, right? We're saying Thai food. That's a pretty like huge Mm -hmm. category of food, right? And cuisines. But if we're talking about noodle dishes or curries or any of those kinds of things, I think that you can often say like, yeah, there's complexity. There are layered flavors. That's what makes the food so freaking tasty. Mm. And so I picked wines that are similarly like not overly complex because you don't want a wine that's going to compete with what you're eating. Yes. But a wine that does have more than one note, because if you drink a one note wine with that kind of food, you're going to be like, this wine literally doesn't taste like anything. Yes. Yes. And I'm... (laughs) It's like whenever someone would ask about wine pairings with food, I would literally imagine eating that food, trying to like create a whole sensory experience in my mind of what this will be like, and then going to the wine. Because it isn't just, okay, Thai food or spicy Thai food, here's the bottle that I think is best. It's all like, especially when I think of the Thai food around here and the differences in what restaurants and what I make at home, is that creaminess is one of the elements Mm, I think mm -hmm. about, is how creamy a curry is. Yeah. Yeah. and different, the, depending on that, I think of what wine I want. If I need something that's heavier to put up with like a real creamy curry or something that's lighter for a lighter curry. Right. I think that's totally fair. And I think that that's where kind of like the Gewurz comes in, right? It has this mm-hmm. weight to it. It has a heft to it. So if you are having something with coconut milk in it, you're going to still notice the wine, right? Because if yes. you go with something too light, again, it's just, it's a contrast that doesn't work, right? There are times where contrasting and food pairing is like exactly what you want, where the acidity in a wine is the little squeeze of lime on your papaya salad. And it's like, oh, that's so great. That makes my mouth come alive. And then there's that contrast where it's like, dude, these things are, we're on separate pages, right? Like, well, yeah. So get down to the bare bones of some of why preparing these wines with Thai food is that element of sweetness that there's a little bit of sugar involved and sugar is always going to help extinguish some of the heat, right? Cool your mouth down a little bit. One of the reasons that I fell in love with Vouvray is that I had some 
good friends and we would celebrate what we called Thai Christmas. So before we all went and did our family Christmases on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we would get together on the 23rd of December and we would order just an absurd amount of food from whatever our current takeout spot was and we would drink Vouvray. Often we'd start with sparkling Vouvray and then we'd move to still. And that sweetness in Chenin Blanc is just like, it is absolutely a match made in heaven, even though I don't believe in heaven, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's a just like, it is absolutely Metaphor. a perfect pairing. It is, I think, a modern day classic. Yes. No. And it's like, I legitimately can approach what Thai food I'm going to order differently based on if I know I have a like Vouvray around because totally. that means if it is too spicy, I have something that will make it bearable or more right. <laughs> bearable. Yeah. What if I don't? And, and so I want to bring up the counterpoint of Gruner yeah. as a wine that I would often drink and that you had told me, right? Like that exacerbates some of the spice to it. And is a total legit approach to pairing wine, but a very different end result and like experience in the meal. It absolutely is. And that's why I didn't pick one for today was because I, I think that people have to go into that pairing, specifically Gruner Veltliner and anything spicy, but let's take let's take Thai food for an example. Um Gruner Veltliner is a higher acid wine. It has lime flavors often. And so people think of it as like, a oh, yeah, that makes sense. There's lime in the food. And so there's lime in the wine. And like, that makes sense. And it, it is. But going back to my analogy of squeezing lime on top of your green papaya salad, mm-hmm. when you have acid, it makes spicier things taste spicier. So I didn't pick one because I was like, well, I don't want people to just like listen to part of the episode or like think like, okay, they said that that's going to work. And then come back to me with like, I got takeout and my mouth was on fire and it made me so sad. Um, So (laughs) if you like that, if you really like heat, if you want to like go after it, you could definitely pick something that is higher in acid. And also notably from the things I didn't pick, I didn't pick a red wine. Mm hmm. Tannins get weird. Tannins get weird with spice. It's not that you can't do it. It's that, but a red wine that works with, specifically with chilies, with fresh chilies, they are, it's so interesting because you think about them, they're like, the heat is very noticeable and serious, mm-hmm. but they are kind of delicate as well, right? They have the kind of like, you were talking about the aromatics and stuff. And so if you were drinking a lower tannin, lower acid red, like a Zinfandel, or something like that. Yeah. It's just not interesting. Like it just, mm-hmm. they, they just don't really like on paper that should match up. And then it's just kind of like, meh. I think, you know, Andy doesn't eat meat, but like if you were doing a beef curry, you know, mm-hmm. it might work then, right? Like if you were doing like a really rich dish, I think that a red could work, but I think that these work so much better. Yes. Yes. I'm like, but I, I'm thinking like there is the person out there that, right, they want to drink Zinfandel with their curry or their Thai, whatever food. Yeah. And that's okay, too. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like there is, it ultimately comes down to what you want to drink. If, yeah. If like, you hate, a, you know, a, many wines, then don't drink them. Yeah. But these are the, you know, kind of the most fun and exciting ways of eating and drinking. Um but again, and I that visualization of eating and drinking. And so it's like the more you drink, the more of a library you hopefully ha- can draw from. And so when you're imagining eating that food, it's like literally just matching it up. Like, okay, how would how do I imagine this would go with this wine? How about this wine? And when you said Red Zinfandel, I am like, that's a powerful or at least, it, yeah, it's a more one note. I imagine that blanketing my palate. And it's not that I couldn't eat 
and enjoy Thai food with it, but it would be like two different things. Like here's yeah. spicy, tasty Thai food, and now a totally different thing for my palate. Which maybe you love that. And yeah, that's yeah, great yeah, yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. And I think something that you have always been good at you saying that like you just kind of picture you know what you're tasting or like what that mm-hmm. meal would taste like. Um, comes from being mindful. And I think that I should say to everyone, like, don't take yourselves too seriously by any stretch unless you want to. But but to get good at this stuff, you do have to take, like, the slightest moment, kind of like every time you eat, kind of like mm-hmm. every time you drink, to, like, have just a quick, that's what that tastes like. Like, I'm remembering this food, I'm remembering this wine, like little mindfulness because then you do have the library that Andy was talking about because like otherwise you you're like I know there are cards in this card catalog but like I can't find anything right because like I don't I didn't actually like remember it right I didn't actually file it away for later use and you'll be like yeah I totally drank that one I don't have any idea what it tasted like so it does require just a little bit of that Yes, and that could be at its own season. Like some filing mechanism, mentally or physically. There are apps, there's everything. And you don't have to document every single thing about every wine. It's just the salient thing. What's the thing that sticks out most? Yeah. And yeah. start building yeah. your, like, what is that? The me- mental mansion? What do we call it? What is the. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The mind. A- mind palace. Mind palace, yes. The build mind a wine pal- mind palace. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> So before we wrap up, I did want to mention that we we said that we were talking specifically about Thai cuisine, and mm-hmm. but there are other things about spicy, right? So the things to kind of take away from this are mm, that fruitiness slash sweetness work really well with spice, that you want to take into account the other kind of aspects of the spice. So what I mean by that is like Thai cuisine tends to lean on fresh chilies, but if you were having a, a chili, like a Texas chili or something of that sort, that's chili powder, right? That's dried chilies. So if you are having Mexican cuisine that is spicy, that tends to be more dried chilies, right? And so then you can lean more towards red wine because those flavors match up more. The weight matches up more. If you have questions about this stuff, this is like, this is literally what Table Wine was created to do was to talk about these kinds of things. But, but I hope that that kind of delineation makes sense for people. The difference between uh, pepper encrusted steak where the spice yeah. is coming from black pepper. And so, no, then you wouldn't want a lighter Chenin Blanc, right? You you would want maybe a red that has some fruit, but then also has some pepperiness to it. So that kind of, um, yes. how to extrapolate. I was literally thinking the black pepper thing because I remember, you know, black pepper. There's some wines that have po- prominent black pepper. And so like, yeah, if black pepper is the spice you're going with, totally different move than a Gewurz. Yeah. And equally valid. Yeah. 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 yeah, For sure. Yeah. Any other burning questions? Pardon the pun. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really thinking about everyone wanting them to build their own understandings of what wines they like and what they want to drink. And this is the beginning of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you're not going to get it all at once, but you'll get like, this is one easy thing. I, easy. I say, but like knowing that sweetness and spice have a great relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that if you, you know, if you listen to this episode and you're like, okay, I'm going to buy these wines. I'm going to get takeout from a Han or monsoon Siam or Holong Bay or whatever your Thai restaurant is of choice. And you taste either of them. And you're like, Ooh, that has a little more fruit to it than I like. Or like, I don't know about this. Please keep in mind that I picked these specifically for food pairing, right? And so, yeah. like, those are different things. And taste the wine with the food before you pass judgment. 
Yes, yes, yes. I hope you like them all on their own. These are incredible wines, particularly the Gewürz is so popular. I don't think people will be scared of that one as much, but yeah. The Vouvray is amazing. Yeah, I'm glad. Amazing. Awesome. Great. And now it is time for our nightcap. And Molly, I'm thinking of something that I just thought of right now. Okay. Because we, you brought up mindfulness. We yeah. said something, let it breathe. Yeah. And so I want to ask, what is something you're doing, a practice, a hobby, that is helping <laughs> your well-being, let's say, that is trying to contribute? And hey, maybe you don't. Maybe it's something you want to do that you're not doing yet. Because something on my mind a lot is trying to actively work on my well-being and I what I can do to question. make it better. Do you know? Have we talked about my self-kindness map? No. I'm like looking at it right now. So (gasps) hold on. I love this. Okay. So I worked with a life coach a while back. And one of the things that we talked about was, um, well, gosh, how much am I going to share? Okay. I'll share it all. One of the things that we talked about was that I grew up in the nineties when being like the sad, depressed girl was like the smart thing, you know, or like it was a trope and I really fell into it. Like I listen to the cure and I wear Doc Martens and I'm so sad. And I was kind of... (laughs) And I don't mean to diminish my depression because like my depression was very real, right? But one of the things I was working on with this life coach was like, I'd like to maybe not have that be my default setting. I'm in my 40s and I kind of actually really like my life and I'd like to like move through this. And so she said, what if self-kindness was your default setting? What if that was like the place that like when you didn't know what else to do, that's like what you returned to. So I created this map and I created all these things. So when Andy asked me this question, I was like, I literally physically right in front of my face have a list of all the things that I do that qualify because that was part of it for me that I felt like it didn't think certain things didn't like count. So when I find myself getting into a darker place or I'm struggling or like last fall with the moving of the store was really, really hard. I got sick for like a month right around the holidays. And so it was just hard to kind of like keep Mm. going. And I would like literally like look at this and be like, what, what is something on here that I like to do? And so then instead of cooking dinner for my family, feeling like a chore, Be like, you are choosing to cook dinner because you like cooking. So like put on your favorite music. You don't have to listen to the news. It's okay. NPR won't hate you if you don't (laughs) listen to NPR for the night. You know, it's okay. Ari Shapiro will still be your friend and it's all right. Oh my God. Right? And so like trying to find moments of peace in those kinds of things. So... So, I mean, all sorts of things really, but like so much of my life is that, right? So like reading and yoga and meditating Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things but i think it's about not seeing it as like i have to meditate because i meditate every day right trying to like switch that yes mindset yes no i'm gonna build off that because i think that's exactly what i'm trying to work on i'm like mindset right it's like a mindset thing um and as life has gotten busier and busier it's just hard not to be like oh everything is work and not fun but it's like no 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 how lucky i am to be doing like this podcast what a treat what a privilege and so I'm working with Richie Davidson, who's like a famous mm-hmm. well, yeah. well, mindfulness, yeah. now yeah. well-being and human flourishing. Yeah. And I was at a little conference where he gave us talk. And, and part of it was a tiny exercise that anyone can do. And I'm going to share it. And I need to work on it more. But I liked it was that he said he in- takes a moment every morning where he just closes his eyes and envisions who he's excited to see in his day. Like we oh. all, right? Like. And he said he does it for every meeting he has, where he knows, like, he thinks about one person in every meeting that he's happy and, like, excited to see. And I'm like, yeah, I need to do that because there's always someone that brings me joy. Like, Molly, I'm so so happy happy. to see you. I know. It's great. 
I mean, it's like a mindset thing, though. It's so easy to be like bogged down by everything in life. And it's like taking a pause and be like, no, how wonderful it will be to actually see this person and have that interaction. Oh, my God. I love that so much. I really, really love that. I'm going to take that out into my life, too. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, we're recording right now. I'm going to go teach a class in about an hour. And I don't go, please, everyone who takes classes from me, please know that I don't go into it like this. But like, I think it would be very easy to get into the like, I have to work on Saturday afternoon story. I could tell myself that story. And Mm -hmm. instead, I tell myself the story of like, I get to go talk about Rioja for 90 minutes with 15 people who are ecstatic to be there. You know, thinking about Richie's thing, I can think of three people off the top of my head I'm super psyched to get to see this afternoon, right? Like how lucky, just like you said, like I'm so lucky. This is my life. This is like the work I do. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's little things. Oh man, I love this. Thanks, Andy. That was a great note to end on. Yeah. Good. Yes. Great. I'm I'm smiling more already. Yeah. Happier. I love it. All right. On that note, friend. Chin chin. Chin chin. The Table Wine Podcast is brought to you by me, Andy Stoiber, and Molly Moran. Special thanks to Craig Ely for his production consultation. If you're enjoying what we're doing here and want to support us, you can do so at tablewinemadison.com slash podcast. And as always, please review, rate, like, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in again soon.